2: From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald Face truth.
0: Well, I looked up uh, today, I woke up, and I looked up, and uh, I don't know what you see in the sky in the state of Oregon. I see a little sunshine. I really do. The Ducks sitting in the polls in the top 25 sitting at the number 8 spot college football playoff rankings coming out tomorrow got a quarterback in Bo Nix who looks suspiciously like a guy who should get Heisman consideration got a head coach in Dan Lanning who despite his age his relative young age youngest head football coach in Power Five Conference looks like a guy who knows what he's doing Ducks have an offensive coordinator in Kenny Dillingham All he's doing is engineering a masterpiece offensively week to week. Ducks averaging 42 points a game. And, yes, that includes the three points that they managed in week one of this season. Will week one matter? Does it matter in the eyes of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee? We're going to find that out tomorrow. About 25 hours from now, the Selection Committee will release their initial rankings. Uh, You know, forgive me, but the pundits who are saying they can't unsee week one of last season. They just can't get by it. Doesn't matter who. Doesn't matter where. It's a cool thing to say. Uh, But what doesn't really matter is what they think. And it doesn't really matter what I think or what you think. It matters what the playoff selection committee thinks. Where will they put the Ducks tomorrow? I still see some sunshine uh, in the skies. Uh, I see some sunshine, too, for Oregon State. How about Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach? Can we get a round of applause for the Beavers? I don't hear you clapping, Stephen. Come on. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. How about Oregon State? All they have done since Jonathan Smith took over the program is go from disgraceful, really, on the field. They were, they were. I hate to use the word disgraceful. I, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to say they were just a non-factor on the field under Gary Anderson at the end. He quit on them midseason. They got mocked in that ensuing rivalry game with Oregon. Remember Willie Taggart said it was raining touchdowns, and you know they went after Corey Hall, the Oregon State uh, interim coach. And all that program has done since hiring Jonathan Smith is go from embarrassing to competent to respectable to ranked. He's ranked. Jonathan Smith talking about
3: it's a little bit like preseason rankings not in midseason rankings we're not we're not into and pay a a bunch of attention to I will say though I think it's a recognition of the work these guys have put in and progress we're making uh, but we're definitely in the postseason rankings
0: there it is definitely in the rankings during the season they want to be in the postseason rankings they want to matter down the stretch here and they have a chance Uh, to matter down the stretch because Oregon State is uh, going to play at Washington on Friday. It's a very important game for their season. It's on the road. They will be an underdog on the road. Road underdogs in the Pac-12 Conference don't fare well, but Oregon State is not normal. They're an outlier. They don't follow the rules. Uh, Do the rules apply to them? We're going to find out on Friday night. We're going to talk a lot about Oregon State this week. We're going to talk a lot about the Ducks this week. Um, It's going to be really interesting to see what the committee does with Oregon, you got four teams really in the Pac-12 that are uh, jockeying for position for Vegas. And then you have Oregon State sitting kind of uh, on the shoulder of those four going, hey, we still want to matter here too. They'll need some chaos. The Ducks will need uh, things to go status quo for them to get there. The Ducks will need to just win out, and they will go to Las Vegas. They have the inside track. They would, in fact, be undefeated in conference play if they could do that. And they would be sitting at the end if they could beat – USC, UCLA, or Utah, or whoever gets to Las Vegas with them, uh, the Ducks would uh, seemingly be well-positioned for a college football playoff berth. Uh, only one team in the history of the college football playoff, of the 32 teams that have made the playoff, only one 12-1 conference champion, one one-loss conference champion has been denied uh, ever in history. So it is, it's unlikely that a conference champion with one loss gets denied. But again, week one, Georgia. Oregon in Atlanta. I was there. It was a non. The Ducks were a non-factor. They were never in the game. That said, I got to be honest with you. I was watching Oregon against Cal this weekend. I was watching them. Uh, at, you know, st- start slow, little sluggish. A couple of mistakes. Had a drop pass early. Had an interception that bounced off a player's chest near the goal line. Really, fourteen points that they gave away in Berkeley early. And Dan Lanning, after the game was not that happy. He told me after the game. When he was uh, on the bus, headed away, headed towards the airport, Dan Lanning told me, texted me, and said, I don't think we played that well. And, and you're going to hear that from Dan Lanning today in his, his Monday news conference and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, they didn't play that well, but they boat raced Cal in the end. They smoked him. And it was really interesting. As I was watching that game, I kept thinking to myself, like, look, physically Georgia manhandled Oregon. If Georgia and Oregon played again today, I would still pick Georgia to win the game. But I'm really curious. Like, there's part of me that wishes we had a 12-team playoff right now because I would love to see this Oregon offense in that playoff because I think they are exactly what is problematic in college football. They're a team that can score on every possession, and they can make you look bad if you don't score on every possession. UCLA found that out. Do I think Oregon would beat Georgia? No, I would still pick Georgia. I'd pick Georgia against anybody right now. and I could change that answer in the coming weeks. But I think we've all been asking the wrong question here six or seven weeks we've been asking you know can we get past oregon losing to georgia can we get over it can we unsee it i think it's the wrong question the question i have today is is georgia any better now than they were in week one the college football season is supposed to be this arc it's supposed to be this winding arc and we've seen teams historically that don't look that good in the beginning of the season ohio state comes to mind several years ago Ohio State, even in 2015, when they got in and won the national championship and beat Oregon, they really came on at the end of that season. They weren't the same team in the beginning of the season. There's a team every year that becomes a problem late in the season. At about this point, they start to come on. They separate. We go, uh-oh, look out. They, they could be dangerous. I don't know if it's Tennessee. I don't know if it's Alabama. I don't know if it's Georgia. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And I think um, you know if we uh, you know we come back and we go look uh, if if Georgia is just flatlined like maybe they're the same team they were at the beginning of the season. Heck, maybe they're not as good as they were at the beginning of the season. And Oregon is better. Is that a football game you want to see or not? That's what the committee's going to ask themselves as they put out their rankings tomorrow. The final first rankings. The you know they've been you know, jimmy Jacking around, you know, selecting their teams, watching their teams. Now they have to put those rankings out publicly. It'll be really interesting to see if Oregon is better than eight where they currently are in the AP poll. If they are better than eight, it's going to tell me that the selection committee is, is looking past week one and judging Oregon on what they see right now on the field. If they are nine or ten, Look out, because it tells me they're not going to be able to get past what they saw on week one of this season as Georgia destroyed Oregon 49-3. I think Oregon's done some good things to try to erase the narrative, change the narrative, but uh, I think we're going to find out definitively tomorrow what that did to the minds of the selection committee. Uh, I want you to call in, 503-417-7575. Tell me what you make of this college football season, what you make of the job that the committee has What do you make of Oregon State being ranked? What do you make of the Beavers going to Washington this week? What do you make of the Ducks and Bo Nix and the chance that Bo Nix has maybe to get into the Heisman conversation? And then ultimately, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, about, uh, you know, Kenny Dillingham. Kenny Dillingham, all he has done uh, for Oregon is come out and engineer an offensive game plan week to week that is absolutely lethal, absolutely lethal, um, and I think uh, you know it's uh, it's interesting to me uh, that we are watching Dillingham do this, knowing that uh, knowing that he has and this might be it for him at Oregon. Like that Arizona State job uh, is looming, is calling. That Arizona State job is out there, and if Kenny Dillingham wants to, you know, be a candidate at Arizona State and become a young head coach in the Pac-12 Conference, I think Arizona State may come calling for him. But I want you to know what you make of all of this. If you're Kenny Dillingham, do you sit tight at Oregon? Do you say, look, uh, you know, I need to wait one more year, two more years? Or do you jump at that opportunity? If you're Bo Nix, do you consider staying at Oregon for one more year? If you're the Oregon Ducks and the selection committee tells you, we just can't get over week one, we can't unsee that, are you going to be okay with that? It bothers me because it's supposed to be a college football season. It's not, to be, not supposed to be elimination week in week one. We're supposed to look at a season and go, okay, how did a team, who got better, who got worse, who was injured at the beginning of the year, what were the circumstances in which you played? We're supposed to do that stuff, but not everybody does it. In particular, the national media doesn't do it. And I, fr- I frankly think that if Oregon were anybody else, they got beat that badly in week one. I, I think that there would be a more forgiving viewpoint if it were Ohio State. I think there would be a more forgiving viewpoint if it were another team from another conference. That said, I'm looking at Oregon going, man, you got to continue to do this. You have to continue to make a case for yourself. Uh, you tell me. 503-417-7575. Let's go to the phone lines. Mark's in Portland. Mark, go ahead.
4: Ugh, this topic drives me nuts, as you know. But okay, so I got something for the selection committee. How do we have the eighth, ninth, tenth, and I believe eleventh ranked team? That's four teams in the top twelve. The only other conference that can say that is the SEC. How is our champion not control its own destiny? That would be my first question. I mean, how, how can you leave them out? Whoever wins this conference, okay? I mean, this week in the in the NFL, uh, New Orleans beat. The Raiders twenty-four to nothing. If they play next week, the score could be reversed. So I'm not saying it's the same in college, but it's one loss, John. And in this fantasy world of a make-believe playoff, um, they act like Oregon. The whole conference should be eliminated after Oregon's performance in Game One. It's just really laughable to me that anybody takes their postseason seriously. They have to put our champion in this playoff. To control their own destiny or it's not a true bill at the end of the year the champion will not have a real title until they include all the major conference champions period 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 yeah and i, I want to wish... thank you yeah. john hey yeah. i want to thank you for for your tips on uh i didn't think oregon or ucla was you know those spreads are hard for me to play but i yeah. told uh my buddies in Vegas, and we all followed your cue, and uh, we had great weekends.
0: I was 5-0 and against the spread last week. I don't want to crow about it, but I'm going to crow about it, because I could go 0-5 this week, but I, I feel like, uh, thanks Mark for the call, I feel like, Stephen, I feel like we got something figured out on this show right now. Like, maybe we should fold up and just go to Vegas.
3: Yeah, you know, I want to be different than you, John. Like, that's my whole thing. I try to be different than people, but we had the same picks all on Saturday. I thought differently on the Thursday game, but I, I followed you on the on the Saturday game, so I thought the same way. We were all right on it. You know, 4-0 on Saturday, so uh, yeah, I say we uh, take the show to Vegas and just do it from there.
0: Man, I, I'm nine and one against the spread in my last ten. Oh. Kind of like Oregon State at home, uh, but I uh, the one I game am,
3: against USC. Yeah, I scored the one game.
0: I'm twelve and two in the last fourteen mm-hmm. against the spread. It, but I'm only. I'm just following logic. Like I, and part of it is that these teams in the conference, the top four teams in the conference, have dominated the rest of the conference, and so I think it's been very easily, and it's been really. I think the the two mistakes that I've made is I've picked against teams that were at home in this conference. The home teams are faring well. Home teams and home favorites in particular are cleaning up in the Pac-12. Bruce is in Portland. Bruce, welcome to the show. John, how are you? Yeah, just take
5: your show to Vegas a couple weeks before the Pac-12 <laughs> championship. Let's do, Let's do it. Let's <laughs> we'll roll on that one. You know how that hey, goes. I hope, the, I hope the Ducks opener was an anomaly. I mean, you watch teams like Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. Those teams, year after year, come back stronger than, uh, as strong as the year before just because of the recruits they get. takes a little while for other teams, I think, to catch up. I think Oregon has improved dramatically since that game, but we'll see. I want to see the Ducks wail on Utah, man. We have two games to avenge from last year. That game is asterisk on my calendar, you know, if we can get by that and then watch out for the beeves, obviously. They got burned at in, in Washington last year. That, that program is up and coming. I'm scared of that game, as as always, every year. Uh, I think Dillingham's got one more year in Oregon. And, you know, I just, again, I think, the, I think the playoff situation will work itself out. If Oregon goes undefeated and takes care of business, I think they will be there in the end. I You know, like you said, other than the fact that it might come in 10th or 11th right now, but I don't think that really matters. Watch out for Tennessee-Georgia. That game's coming up. That is the outlier, man, what Tennessee does. and and how that all works out and shakes out I think that's going to determine a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think there's a uh, there's a good there's a bunch of games that are coming up that I have nothing to do with the Pac-12 but have everything to do with the Pac-12. We'll look at it next. I want more of your phone calls. Beaver fans, how do you feel? Beavers still have a puncher's chance here in the Pac-12 if there's a ton of chaos and they went out. But I also think Oregon State is very focused on taking care of itself, kind of like Utah. I don't think Utah is in a very advantageous position to get to Vegas. It feels like it's going to be one of the L.A. teams and Oregon getting to Vegas. But I want your phone calls on all these things. It is a bright and sunny Halloween day. No matter the, the, the scene in the sky, it feels bright and sunny because we have two ranked teams in college football here in the state of Oregon. And uh, Alabama, state of Alabama, as I pointed out on Twitter, they only have one, okay? You know, if they want to learn something about football, maybe they look this direction. Leave it here, 503-417-7575.
2: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The
3: Game.
0: I want a bunch of your phone calls, 503-417-7575. What do you make of the Ducks? And the College Football Playoff Selection Committee rankings coming out tomorrow. What do you make of the Beavers ranked? Jonathan Smith has the Beavers ranked. I feel like applauding every time I hear that. I don't know why. I also want you to know on tomorrow's show, I never do this, okay? I never do this. I want you to be here at 3 o'clock tomorrow. I can't tell you why. But you need to be here at 3 p.m. tomorrow. You're going to get... a uh, more than pleasant surprise at 3 p.m. tomorrow. I'll just tell you that because you're a listener and membership has its privileges, as they say. Uh, be here 3 p.m. tomorrow, right off the top of the show. You will not want to miss what's going to happen at 3 o'clock tomorrow right here. Nick Daschle covers Oregon State. Uh, you can read him on Oregon Live. He's joining us now. Hey, hey, your team is ranked. You, like Your words are probably flowing a little freer, like a little bounce in your step is the beat guy. Good job.
6: Yeah, I had a lot to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I, I spend a lot of time working on these X's and O's and, and developing <laughs> uh, defensive linemen, and yeah, yep. that's,
0: recruiting. You know, Let's never forget recruiting. I mean,
6: <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I'm a, I'm a, but I'm already getting a lot of a lot of Beaver fans bent out of shape at me because I made some comment on on Twitter about you know is this a one week thing? Um, because, you know, uh, 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 obviously I'm Debbie Downer by bringing it up, but, you know, they go in this Washington game ranked. If they don't be Washington, I'm not sure they're going to be ranked the rest of the season until after a bowl game. So, I mean, this game's kind of, kind of important if they want to keep this up because they lose at Washington. I, I don't know that they get ranked again unless they beat Oregon. The road
0: uh, the road games have been hard across the conference. The home teams dominate. Uh, why is it that Oregon State has struggled on the road in your mind? You know,
6: I don't, three years ago when Jonathan had, you know, the, the, they won a bunch of road games, and I don't know, have they, I guess, they, have they struggled? They won at Fresno State. You know, Fresno had Jake Hayner at the time, who was, you know, pretty yeah. good quarterback. That's a, That was they, a good they, win, yeah. Yeah, and they you know, and they did struggle at Stanford, but they won. Utah, um, Utah, Utah, beat them good. Utah, yeah, Utah was the bad. Yeah, it was, that that was their worst performance of the year. I don't know. I mean, shoot everybody, but teams have come to Oregon State, and not played well either. Even you know USC. I mean, you, you you could make the case Oregon State was probably quite a bit Should've better won. that game. They, just, won. they just they yep. just didn't win, and um, yeah, it's just I I don't know. It's it, it, you'd like to think the reason teams don't win on the road in the back you know, is because the, the crowd is so much of a factor, but I mean, maybe there's a handful of stadiums in the pack 12 where that's the case, but I don't know. It's, 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 it's it, 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 I don't really have a good answer for you on why the home teams that's okay. are, are so dominant this year.
0: That's okay. How about Chance Nolan, that quarterback? Um, you know, a lot of people wondering if, if he'll get back, when he'll get back. Ben Gobertson has been all right and, and seems to be, be steady and improving uh will oregon state suit up ben gulbrinson on friday will they suit up chance nolan in your mind
6: well it'll definitely suit up ben gulbrinson unless something happens here between now and friday but who's starting um oh i i, I, I i'll be surprised if it's not gulbrinson i Chance. Chance practiced a little bit today. Limited, limited, according to Jonathan and from all indications, this was you know probably either yesterday or today was the first time he's he's even worked out in a month. I mean, when you haven't played in a month, it's going to be hard. For I, it, it, and Jonathan said, you know, if it was today, it would be Gulbertson. Well, if it's Friday, it's still going to be Gulbransen. I I can't believe that Chance Nolan will will go from limited on Monday to full speed by Thursday and ready to go Friday. Unless something dramatically happens with Gulbransen, now the, the conundrum comes in after this game. If if I think they like Chance Nolan, I think they think he's probably the best the best quarterback on the roster. And I'm not saying that they told me that. I just I'm just you know what I know, what I see, all that all that crap. But if Ben Gulbransen wins up, if, if if Oregon State wins up in Seattle on Saturday, Friday. I've said that a bunch of times already. It's Friday. God, I said that like three times at the press conference today. Um, you know, he's 4-0 as a starter. What do you do with the guy? I mean, at that point, you, you can't bench a guy for being 4-0 as a starter, I don't think. So you kind of got to go with him. And so that's where the conundrum comes in. Even if Chance Nolan is, is you know ready and you know snapping at Jonathan Smith's heels and whatnot, I don't know that you can replace Galvinson if he's 4-0.
0: Nick Daschle with us covers Oregon State. You can read him on Oregon Live. Uh, this team wants to play defense; they're very good at it. Washington likes to play offense; they're pretty good at it. How does that matchup go in your mind?
6: It's going to be something you know. Oregon State hasn't hasn't you know quite faced this year. They've seen a lot of good quarterbacks. You know, Pac-12's got a number of them, and like I mentioned earlier, Jake Caner. They've seen those guys. But, but Penix is just, he's a little bit different in that he doesn't really run around a lot, but he is so accurate. He, you know, he's completing nearly 70% of his passes. And I know I said something to Jonathan last week. I said, is, 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 is Washington Fresno North, because you know, that's where Kalen came from. And he said, well, yeah, except they got a lot better receivers. And if you just look at their roster of guys, I mean, they have a ton of guys that have caught between 20 and 50 passes this year already. And, I mean, they, they're far and away the, you know, the, the most prolific passing team in the conference. And, you know, they'll throw it short, throw it deep. They'll throw it everywhere. And and I think Oregon State's equipped to handle that, but until you actually face something like that, you, you don't really know for sure. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, if Cal held, you know, Washington to 28 points, and, and they've been held down a little bit at times. But I think Oregon State's going to have to a bring their bring their running game with them, uh, and bring it to a point where they can run for over 200 yards, and they're going to have to score some points. I mean, they're going to have to get in the 30s probably to win to win Friday.
0: You know, Wilner, Oregon State seemed to take it personally when USC came to Corvallis. I I felt like they really just personally challenged themselves. Will they do that again, or was that more about it being USC? You know, does Washington bring that same edge to it as an opponent? I guess that's what I'm asking.
6: Well, this is—are uh, are you asking if Oregon State will will view Washington as they as they might have viewed USC? Yes, I was. Uh, yeah. So I just look back at the series a little bit. This is the biggest UW-Oregon State game since 2000. I mean, they rarely play each other when both teams are hitting on all cylinders. They're, I mean, they're both 6-2. and two, Both have a chance to, you know, win 10 games this year. Still, you know, probably on the outside of the Pac-12 championship game race, But, you know, still got it. they're still in it. Um, that hasn't happened for quite a while when these two teams got together. So... I mean, I think there's the obvious. You know, Jonathan would like to go up. You know, take a, a a good team up to Washington and show people. You know, what he's got. And I think. You know, I think I think the team would like to, to back him up on that. I, he he would never say that, but I I, th- I think it means something to him to go up with a good team up there and show what he can do. And you know, Washington. I don't know that Washington looks at Oregon State quite the same way, but you know, they are six and two, and you know, probably have, that would probably be washington's best win of the year even you know bigger than the michigan state if they could beat oregon state so i mean most teams got a lot to play for friday
0: huge huge game uh who do you like in the game too early to pick or you, you got to pick, no, pick i made a
6: pick i made a pick already this morning i picked oregon state 30 to 27 i, I think their defense is is playing well and i think they're gonna they're gonna do some things against washington give them trouble and I think Oregon State Washington is is going to have trouble stopping Oregon State's run especially if they if they do stick with Damian Martinez and to where he runs 20 to 25 times you know a game the one the one thing Oregon State will have to deal with is is Washington's pressure on the outside that's that's probably not something they've seen a lot this year where with two guys that can really get after it on the edge so If they can block those guys somewhat, I I think Oregon State's offense is going to have a decent day.
0: Nick Daschle, appreciate you. Great job covering this team. Read them at Oregon Live. Daschle, thank you, my friend. All right, we'll see you. Happy Halloween to Nick Daschle. Your phone call, Sean in Vancouver's holding, Jeff in Portland's holding. I got a couple lines open at 503-417-7575. I want to know where you stand on the playoff committee rankings. They're coming out. What will you be looking for? What are you excited about? And again, tomorrow at 3 p.m., I want you here right off the top of the show. Um, I, I, I can't tell you quite yet what it's going to be, but you're going to want to be here at 3 o'clock tomorrow. Leave it here.
2: Back to the Bald faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Tomorrow 3 p.m. You'll thank me. Be here. Make an appointment. I don't do this right. You listen to the show for years. How many times, Stephen, in your time working on the show, have I said, "Hey, you have to be here"? I can't tell you why. Three o'clock tomorrow. How many times have I said that? Uh,
3: that would be zero.
0: Yeah, this is this is big. It's a big deal. It's a guest. I can't say who it is, but it's the it's it's big. I just want you here. 3 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, you'll thank me as you tune in tomorrow at 3 p.m., and you're getting an advantage that you're listening to it now. Jeff is in Portland. Jeff, welcome
7: to the program. Appreciate you. Yeah, appreciate you too, John. Hope you're doing well. I am a huge Duck fan, but I have to be realistic, and I can't be delusional like some people that I've been listening to. We lost to Georgia 49-3. to That's over six and a half touchdowns. You know, there are three teams – in the SEC alone, that are much better than Oregon right now. I mean, our biggest win as the Ducks is against UCLA. UCLA almost lost to South Alabama. I think they beat them by one point. The other best team in the conference, USC, they just let Arizona score 37 points on them. Arizona's terrible this year. The Pac-12 is lucky to have three teams in the top ten, but I don't really think those are top five teams. You know, there's just a big difference between great teams and really good teams. And I would much rather see the Ducks make it to the Rose Bowl, beat a good Michigan team, and just not embarrass ourselves. We already did that once. We can't do that again.
0: Yeah, I I think you probably speak for a, a large swath of Duck fans who are going, look, let's be realistic do we really want to see this? And I agree with the people who are saying that. I also think this is why we want a 12-team playoff, because I'd like to see where Oregon falls. Like, it might be possible that Oregon is the second or third best team in the country. It might be possible. Maybe they're fourth best team in the country. They might get into the playoff if they do make it and get boat raced again by the number one Georgia Bulldogs. That might happen. That's a real risk that you run if you're Oregon. But I also think there's a chance that uh, Oregon, you know, maybe, you know, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see where they are. Uh, but I understand that. I mean, I think there are a lot of fans out there that that are being realistic and probably uh, view Oregon as, hey, they're not just not ready for that yet. You've seen that already. Although Oregon went to Ohio State last year and won a game that nobody expected them to win except this guy right here. Sean's in Vancouver. Sean, welcome. Hey. So, um, yeah, I'm going to hope you're doing well, John. Uh,
8: so i got to agree with the last guy. But, you know, a let's let's be honest. Let's look at the history. Okay. Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, two of those three are getting in. A one-loss SEC team is going to get in, and the winner of the SEC is going to get in. That leaves the winner of Ohio State and Michigan is going to get in. That leaves one spot. Is a one-loss Pac-12 team going to get in over a – undefeated Clemson or an undefeated no. TCU. No. So it's going to be two SEC teams, the Big 12 team, and one of those other two teams. Unless, I mean, you know, it's college football, anything can happen. But as it stands right now, that's the way it's going to look.
0: Yeah, that's the way it is shaping up. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if you're Dan Landing in Oregon and you want a season to build upon because you're probably going, look, I can uh, – you can get into this type of game and you can win it. Uh, Steven, you tell me. You want to see Oregon with another shot at Georgia or you want to see Oregon in the Rose Bowl?
3: Yeah, if I'm an Oregon fan, I want to I see him get another shot at Georgia. And it's not only because I just think Oregon's improved. You know, I've been talking about that all year. Like, I just thought Georgia was going to come in that first week and dominate. But you know, the ultimate goal is to win that College Football playoff, to get that national championship, something the Ducks have never gotten. And I understand if you go to the Rose Bowl and you win, it's a good feeling because you end your season on a win. Which not a lot of teams can claim, but it's not the national championship. It's that one thing that the Ducks have never gotten. And so I just would rather have a shot at that and see what happens from there.
0: Stick your nose in there and see where you're at, stick so to speak. I think I look, here's the I'm torn on it because they're nowhere near as good as Georgia. Like we saw that in week one. And I don't think that there's any amount of uh you know, what they could do between, you know, now and the end of the season that would change my mind on whether they could beat Georgia. But I am looking at the other teams in the uh, in the you know in the top twenty five. I'm looking at Tennessee. I'm looking at Ohio State, and I'm going look. Oregon went to Ohio State last year and won. Uh, Oregon can beat Michigan. Can Oregon beat Clemson? I don't know, but I'd like to see them play Clemson. Like I'd like to see them play everybody, but Georgia. But the problem is, if they get into this playoff, they're probably going to be the four seed, and they're probably going to get Georgia again. So I would almost rather see them play someone else rather than Georgia, because I don't know if they can get past Georgia. I, I'm convinced they can't get past Georgia, but I'm also convinced that they have as much right to the fourth spot in this playoff as any other one-loss team is. And if there's a you know one lost team or two-loss team that gets in in front of them, I think it's going to be a cry in shame. Let
3: me ask you this, John. Do you think it would be better nationally, reputation-wise, for Oregon to go to the Rose Bowl and beat Michigan, let's just say, or go to the— Cultural playoff and lose to Georgia for a second time? Would it help them for next season build upon momentum with the Rose Rose Bowl?
0: The Rose Bowl win. And the doubt out there and the question that they might have belonged. Uh, You know, the people going, you know, like if they, let's just say they go to the Rose Bowl, they play Michigan, and they beat Michigan pretty handily. I think it's a very ordinary Michigan team that's sitting there at 8-0 but I don't think I don't think Michigan is anywhere near as good as Georgia. I don't think Oregon's anywhere near as good as Georgia. but I think Oregon can beat Michigan. What if Oregon goes to the Rose Bowl, beats Michigan handily? I think that is a much better momentum piece entering next season than going to the playoff, saying you made the playoff but you got embarrassed and i think sometimes it's over it's tough to overcome some of this stuff
3: yeah and next season Oregon should be better right like they can could return a lot of people i think maybe if they get that momentum maybe dillingham stays right and then they can get Bo nicks back like it may be the right choice to say go to the rose bowl and win but just for me like i want to see you against the best i want to see the teams and see how they compete against those top schools i
0: would i actually would love to see Oregon play georgia like just the curiosity of it is How much better is Bo Nix? How much better is the Oregon offense? Would they move the ball at all? Would they score on Georgia? Because I kind of feel like, look, I was there. I was there in Atlanta. That was week one, game one for Dan Lanning. And I'm not saying we should excuse Oregon's performance because it was a first-year coach in week one. But it was a road game against the defending national champions. It had the feel of one of those NBA season openers where the champions are getting their rings. You know, Georgia fans were there. They were kind of celebrating, like, last season – this season, it was a big event. I remember every Uber I was in, the drivers were like, Oh, this is the biggest thing. Look at the dogs. You're going to get introduced to the SEC. And then I got inside that building and I was like, Yeah, like, you know, I've seen this before. I've seen, you know, a national championship game or two or three, or I've been to an LSU won a couple of national championships. I was there at those games and it had that feel to it. Georgia's incredibly talented, incredibly dangerous. You look at their you know, offensive line, they're tight end six seven, two sixty, and you go, okay, that's a different type of tight end than we see in the Pac 12. That's not Dalton Kincaid. You know, it's that is a that is a massive human being playing tight end for Georgia. And and across the line, that's the big difference is the guys up front at Georgia were you know, these are guys that are gonna go to the NFL and they're gonna start. These are not guys that are just going to make a roster or get just get drafted. These are guys that are going to go and be the, you know, a starter in the NFL. And so it was an eye opener in week one. And I think, but I also think Oregon did not give Georgia its best punch. So I would like to see. Okay, it would be a great experiment to see where Oregon is at the end of the season. And there's a very good chance that Georgia would beat them by double digits. And people would go, "Oh, Oregon didn't belong in this game." But I'm looking at these rankings, and I'm looking at Georgia, and I'm looking at Tennessee, and I'm looking at Ohio State, and I'm looking at Michigan. I don't think those four are going to be there at the end of the year, and part of it is, you know, Georgia is going to play Tennessee, and I'm watching Alabama still with one loss and going, okay, are they out of this thing? And I'm looking at TCU and Clemson, and then I'm looking at Oregon and going, hey, can Oregon get past TCU? Can it get over Alabama? Can it get by Clemson? Can it get through Michigan? to get into the top four. I think it's asking a lot. I think there's a chance that they become the second one-loss conference champion not to get there. 503-417-7575 is the number. Our big splash coming up next.
2: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: It is Halloween. In our household, we have a kangaroo, the 8-year-old, and we have a, a giraffe, the 6-year-old. Anna is also going to wear a giraffe outfit. She just didn't know it, but I ordered it for her, so she'll be in a, she'll be in a giraffe outfit. That makes me the zookeeper, Steven. Peter, what are the costumes looking like at your households?
3: Uh, so my oldest, he's 8, he's going to be uh, a character from the video game Among Us. Okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's he's the imposter on that one. So uh, he's excited (laughs) about that. And then uh, the little one, he's gonna be Spider Man.
9: I love that, man. Solid. I, I would do the Among Us costume. I know it's a little played out now. but uh, he, get, he
3: gets a lot of love on it. Like, random kids will come up to him and be like, oh, you're so sus. <laughs>
9: That's great. <laughs> uh, my 8-year-old, uh, he's he's doing something classic. Nothing in pop culture. He decided he wanted to be a vampire this year. So uh, Okay, I like that. Yeah, no one specific, just a, a general vampire.
0: That's good. Are you? Will you dress up, Peter? You're normally dressed up. Are you dressed up right now? Today?
9: Uh, I am wearing blue jeans and a black T-shirt.
0: There you go. Did, do you, uh, do you dress up, though, Peter? I don't. He's from, he's from Greece.
9: <laughs> That's right. Ooh, Danny That's Zuko. <laughs> Over here. <laughs> Kinnicky. <laughs> I don't know why I thought you dressed up every year. Did you dress up one year, years ago? Uh, not here. I'm sort of an uh, old man shouting, let the kids have Halloween, so I usually don't.
0: Hmm. There you go. Uh, we did full size candy bars this year, so hey, hey, hunker over to our household if you're nearby and mm-hmm. pick up the full size. what's your go to candy on Halloween? What is like, what is the one candy you can't resist?
9: Man, without a doubt, it is a uh, hundred grand bar. I I can't resist it. I'm not a huge sweets guy. I have two weaknesses: strawberry ice cream. No one's handing that out on Halloween, but a uh, hundred grand bar, king size mini doesn't matter. I will eat all of them. Yeah, chewy, chewy goodness. That's yeah. kind
0: of a Rice crispy Caramel chocolate thing, right? Yeah, exactly.
9: It's like a Crackle Bar, but it has that yeah. gooey caramel running through the middle.
0: Uh, I'll go for that. The Nougat or whatever it is called. Mm. Uh, Steven, what's your go-to uh, candy on Halloween?
3: Uh, you know, I'm just a Twix guy. Just give me some Twix. I'm good to
0: go. I am Reese's Peanut Butter
9: Cup. Solid. Yeah, that's a classic. Can't, Have can't, you ever had
3: the white chocolate? Cause those are, can't those, give away. That's my favorite, the white chocolate Reese's. That's my all-time favorite candy, but it's kind of, you know, it's a little out there. It's
0: a little rare. Yeah. Uh, one year, a couple years ago, because what happens is, you know, because neither one of us want, like for me, the joy of Halloween is watching my kids go door to door and dress up, seeing the excitement, living vicariously through them. But that means nobody can man the house. So what we do is we leave a bowl of candy on the porch. But Anna started that tradition. She said, we're going full size candy bars. And I said, that's fine. And she said, we're going to leave them in a bowl on the porch. And we're going to leave a little note that says, take one. Right, so you know, obviously, I'm going rolling my eyes, going, "Yeah, uh, okay, let's see how long this lasts." But um, it's interesting because we have all sorts of cameras in front of the house. We could watch the kids when they came up, and it was a really interesting watch for me later because uh, I only watched because the whole bowl was gone later, and I was like, "Okay, who took the bowl?" But it was an interesting watch because one by one, the kids came up. And often groups of kids would come up and they would huddle around the bowl and they would kind of pick through and they'd pick out the peanut butter cup or they'd pick out the Hershey bar or the Snickers or whatever their thing was. And then the kids started getting older as the night went on, and it you know, because it was getting later. And so little kids at the beginning and then it started being like teenagers and then pretty soon it was like long lulls between teenagers. And I was really – Impressed and my my faith in humanity was restored as I watched kids take uh, You know one candy bar one candy bar one candy bar. I was like man. This is awesome then Later in the evening what happens is this dude pulls up in his car and he's driving like a white compact car and He parks across the street. He doesn't know that our cameras can pick you up over there across the street so um, Apparently, he had come to the house earlier with his own son, who was young, and the kid got a full-size candy bar. Dad stood at the bottom of the steps. He was nowhere near the top of the steps when he came with his kid. But he decided, apparently, later in the evening, he wanted the whole bowl. So he came to the house, and he grabbed the bowl. But the problem he had was that, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Peter, we had, like, I get an alert if somebody yeah. is right on the doorstep. So I went to open the door just to be like, trick or treat, and there was a grown man on his knees scooping the candy bars into a bag. And he was so startled by me that he grabbed a bunch of the candy bars and he started running down the stairs. Now the stairs, there's my kids have counted, I think there's 22 steps between the bottom and the top, okay? So there's, it's a long concrete path up and uh the guy made it down the steps in about three steps like he was running down the steps just jumping and i was like oh gosh don't crack your head because this is the story you read about dude ends up suing the homeowner because he cracks his head running away after stealing candy bars he got away with the candy bars and i was just yelling at him hey dude you don't have to run you can have the whole bowl but he took the he basically took them and then he took off running with it and I didn't post the video because I felt like it would have embarrassed the guy. He was in his mid to late 30s, and I'm pretty sure he never came back another Halloween again. But, can, you know, my, my faith in humanity followed by, oh,
9: adults. Yeah, I mean, that's a some sort of metaphor for something. I'm not sure exactly what. But, I mean, look, the king-sized household is always a desirable household, but it's always one Jerk that ruins it for everybody, isn't it?
3: Yes. But we yeah. all know the houses yes. that have the king size or the regular oh, size. Oh, please believe. Yeah, like you got it mapped out. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I dropped my kids off today at my parents' house, and my mom gave me a regular-sized candy bar. I'm going back for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can have one, too. I mean, it's just a candy bar, man. We're just trying to bring a little bit of joy to the kids. It's Anna's idea because... Anna, you know, she grew up, and I don't think they gave away candy at her house. And so I think she likes the idea of being the person who's giving away the full-size candy bars. And look, I'll be honest. I've had two Reese's peanut butter cups today already. So uh, (laughs) I'm benefiting from it as well. Uh, This brings us to our big splash. It is the one thing that you need to know today. This is
2: the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there.
0: The Big Splash. Well, in less than two turbulent seasons, Auburn has changed directions with its football program. They fired football coach Brian Harson today. The decision comes just before the school announced uh, a new athletic director, John Cohen, the former Mississippi State AD, is moving over to Auburn. Far- Harson's firing comes less than 48 hours after the Tigers lost to Arkansas at home by a couple of touchdowns. They're 3-5. and five. They're in danger of missing out on a bowl. Uh, Carnell Cadillac Williams will serve as Auburn's interim coach. He's in his fourth season. Harson's uh, tenure at Auburn, 21 games. He went 9-12 and 12 in 21 games. People may remember that when Oregon hired uh, Mario Cristobal, when it hired Willie Taggart both times, Rob Mullins, the Oregon AD, uh, talked with Brian Harson about the opening. Harson uh, will be owed $15.5 million in his buyout money. 50% of that is due within 30 days, so don't feel sorry for him. Uh, two years ago, Auburn paid Gus Malzon $21.7 million uh, to go away. He, had, he was 68 and 34 in eight seasons. Uh, Harson took over and has not done better. Mississippi State's John Cohen will be the next AD. Uh, Mike Leach to, to Auburn guys. What do you think?
3: Well, I was going to ask you what about uh Kenny Dillingham? Or is he too young to go there? He was he's the not... offensive coordinator at Auburn.
0: Yeah, it's uh you know we, you know uh, there you go. Um, I, I think <laughs> I think it's.
3: I mean, uh, I mean it, it would be. A, I think it'd be a risky hire for Auburn, right? Like to have an unproven guy at the same time. Like you could go for Mike Leach, and if you could get him, he's more proven. But I think yeah, the upside of Dillingham is off the charts.
0: It's interesting with Dillingham because I think Dillingham, Arizona State's awfully interested in him. I think they, you know, I've already had a couple of people, you know, I'll call them soft inquiries. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com, but I've had people at Arizona State ask me, you know, as, you know, they're not going to ask me about football when it comes to Kenny Dillingham. They can see that. But what they've asked me is, is he mature enough? Is he, does he have the maturity to be a head coach? And look, Kenny Dillingham's been young everywhere he's gone. He was 21 years old in his first job. He was 23 and 25 and 27 calling plays at Auburn and Florida State. And, and now he's 32 now at Oregon calling the plays. I think he's plenty old in today's college football world. Sean McVay, your guy, uh, with the Rams, was 31, I think, when they hired him. Or 30 in 11 months. Leave it here. Matt Preem next.
2: B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald Face truth.
0: Players scrapping in the tunnels. This feels like Miami and Notre Dame back in the day. Michigan, Michigan State. Nobody wants to see that, but everybody kind of wants to see it at the same time. It's one of those things. University of Oregon playing some good football. Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator. His name is surfacing all over the place. We talked about it in the last segment. Uh, Brian Harson out at Auburn. Arizona State looking for a coach. Dillingham, obvious ties to Arizona State. Hasn't said anything publicly. But I have to think, uh, based on the inquiries, I've had two inquiries from Arizona State. People in the athletic department asking me is he mature enough what's he like to work with i've only talked to him a few times talked to him over the weekend but oregon's playing good ball that's what's doing the speaking for kenny dillingham that offense bo nicks 42 points a game they're making it look easy here to talk about it matt preem friend of this show 24 7 sports a guy who has halloween going on in his neighborhood he's got children his doorbell could ring at any moment. He's probably handing out full-size candy bars, and he's joining us now. What is your go-to candy on Halloween?
10: Oh, John, is this the go-to candy that I go out and buy for myself as a parent? Because we all do that, and we just don't give it away. Or the candy that I pull from my kid's bags? that, hey, you can't have it. It's bad for you.
0: <laughs> Either one, you tell me.
10: Oh, uh, hundred grand. Hundred grand—it's the most underrated candy out there, and you can never find it anywhere except for like right now.
0: Uh, yeah, this is the only time of year that you can really get the hundred grand. I noticed—I was in the store today. You know what? What candy is the candy that's left over? Is the payday bar, the peanut bar. Nobody wants that bad boy.
10: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of almond joys at my house at, at uh, my local Dairy Mart and uh, Walmart when I went looking for candy.
7: Yeah.
0: Hey, let's talk, uh, speaking of candy, that offense at Oregon is looking pretty sweet, man. Uh, you know, Bo Nix, Kenny Dillingham, uh, the receivers, the running backs, Troy Franklin emerging, Chris Hudson when he's not dropping the ball looks fantastic. I mean, uh, they are humming right now. It, but we you know what we don't do enough, Matt? We don't talk about the offensive line. Can we, for a moment, just talk about how comfortable Bo Nix looks back there throwing?
10: I think that's the biggest factor for why Bo Nix is having the season that he is having at Oregon and why he could not have this type of production at Auburn because they couldn't protect him. And that forced Bo to scramble for his life and at times try and make impossible plays. And to pull a a quote from – Dana Altman, you know, Oregon's just asking Bo Nix to make the simple plays because they can give him the time to read the defense and find the simplest throw that's out there. Now, obviously, they they take some chances. They, they did uh, a couple times against Cal. One of them uh, hit Franklin in the hand. It just was a, was going to be a tough catch, but didn't and got intercepted. But, We've also seen some bombs from from them, and they've trusted Bo to, to make the right plays there. Um, I, I don't have any issue with the interception thrown at the end of the, of the first half, but you're right. The offensive line is huge, and it's a big reason why Bo is having the year he's having. One stack allowed all season long. Uh, the offensive line has won four times this year. The offensive line of, of player of the week award. Uh, The only team to have more than four in the the awards history, I'll bet it started in 2019, is that 2019 team, which won it in, I think, eight times for Oregon out of 14 opportunities. I don't think it's going to be hard to get to eight, obviously, for Oregon this season, but they're living up to a standard and they're playing really good. And they don't have – a Penae Sewell or uh, a Kyle Long, like a first-round draft pick that you look at and say, "That guy is going to be a future NFL star." We already know it. It's just when does it get? When does he get to the NFL? They've got talent. They've got NFL talent, but not that superstar guy that we've seen, like a Penae Sewell.
0: Bo Nix, you know, he's on record. He said, you know, that he'd he'd like another shot at Georgia and you know he thinks they could play with Georgia now score on Georgia now do you, what do you think would happen if they the, just just talk about the Oregon offense i i think they're better they're 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 good for more than 3 points no doubt but how would they compete in that game again if you could if we could line that thing back up again now
10: i still think they lose i still think they lose probably by double digits um i i i wish he had if i was the head coach Um, I wish he would not have said those comments, and I get where he's coming from. Um, But at the same time, it's like, hey, it's on record. There's proof. The offense scored three points. I think they would be a lot more competitive than they were uh, week one, but this is still a Georgia team that held them to three points. And, you know, all the characters in the game are, are, are the same. Some of them have gotten better, no doubt about it. Um, but I I still have a hard time seeing Oregon win that game against Georgia.
0: I agree with you. I think uh, I'd like to – I'd see – I want to watch it out of curiosity, but I don't think they are – I don't think they're scoring more than maybe 20 points in that game, and I think Georgia's good for a lot more than that. Uh, Matt Preem, 24-7 Sports, is with us. The running back stable – the guy I, I, I really love to watch run is Bucky Irving, and I didn't really see him coming this year, but I just love how he competes. And, uh, you know, especially there's a lot of little things he does. He catches passes in the check down. And, um, yep. you know, what do you make of sort of that running back by committee that they've turned to and how effective they've been?
10: At first, I kind of didn't like it. Um, but I, I think as the season has progressed and we've seen kind of the purpose for this. I mean, everyone still is relatively healthy at that position group, and that's probably the most important one. Um, And all these guys are bringing something unique to the table and have their little area that they excel in. Um, And now it's, it's turning into you've got reliable backs no matter what. And I, I feel like if Oregon goes into the month of November and one of its top three backs, or probably even four if you include Jordan James, goes down with an injury, I don't really care who they're playing. If it's a one-week injury, if, yeah, they'll be fine. They, they've got the talent to overcome it. And Whittington is a very good backup running back. Uh, Bucky Irving, I, I, I'm trying to... Not have hot takes about him, yeah. but I think he's the best back Oregon's had since Royce Freeman in the backfield, and I think the comparisons from a running style standpoint, he's not as good as Lamichael, but are there? You you can you can compare him to Lamichael and just the way he was used and the way you know Oregon's using Bucky, I, you can see the similarities between the two running backs. Um, obviously, Lamichael is a better player, but. Bucky's special. He's good. Uh, I, I think Oregon should be very thankful if he comes back next season because I, he's one of those guys where you maybe kind of don't expect it during the middle of the season, but as we're getting closer to the year, knowing running back shelf life, if this guy's got a you know a, a a draft profile that that could get himself selected, you know, at some point in the draft. If he were to come out, I, I don't know why he would why he would stay at Oregon unless he's got some NIL deals coming down the, you know, next season. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I, I think you're in that discussion point where, hey, Bucky might go pro, and it wouldn't surprise me. But the good thing is is Oregon's got some guys behind him in Whittington and Dollars and Jordan James that you feel real good about for from a long-term perspective.
7: You
0: know, you you hit on something there because, you know, you got – you got Bucky Irving, you have Bo Nix, who might be a one-year guy, you got Kenny Dillingham, who is getting a lot of attention because of what he's doing. Does this feel fleeting to you, Matt, when you look at it? Does this thing feel like, hey, the window's open, but this might just be a one-year thing, and then it might be, hey, let's see what they have next year? Or how do you sort of view this group in its progression?
10: I think the Dillingham... If he leaves to become a head coach somewhere is maybe the biggest reason to pause. But even then, I don't know um, if he's going to go right away. And the reason I say that is because maybe Arizona State calls him. I'm sure they call him and engage his interest, or a Colorado. But I look at Dillingham and say, is that the best job that you're going to get? very similar to what Dan Lanning probably went through the last couple of seasons at Georgia. If, if you're Kenny Dillingham, I, I think the approach is, is yeah, I'm going to listen to offers. I'm going to entertain offers. Uh, I'll go through the interview process to, A, get practice for this, B, see what's out there, and if I find something that I truly think I can be successful at. But is this the best job that I could possibly get in the next year or two? down the road. And I, for Arizona State, for Colorado, no. I, he, he would have bigger opportunities, I think, and uh, places far better you know, set up for long-term success than either of those two programs. Now for ASU, the question is, is you know, how dear and near is it to him in his heart uh, to, be, to be the head coach at ASU because he grew up in the area, he graduated from there. You know, that, that could be the question. As for the players, I, this is we're, we live in the portal days, and while it, it, it kind of sucks for you know, college retention and, and understanding and, and getting to know these players, you know, you're going to be able to find every single season starters at quarterback, starters at, at receiver skill position to where if a Bucky goes pro um, or if Bo Nix decides that this is it and he goes pro as well, because he does have that extra year because of COVID, um, if, if he leaves. And, and Dante Moore is not the guy as a true freshman. I, you, will, you will have available players to go out and, and locate and bring in to have high levels of success. I mean, they did it with Bo Nix this season, at quarterback. They've done it with Bucky. They've done it with Christian Gonzalez, um, Jordan Riley at defensive tackle. Um, they've also done with Casey Rogers at defensive line, uh, you know, Oregon's got multiple chase coda, you know, they've got six or seven guys right now, starting from the portal on a team that's in the top 10. So that's the way we are, uh, in college athletics now is that you can go out and quickly find a portal guy that's the NFL caliber player, or one of the best players, you know, collegiately in the country right away.
0: Matt Preem, 24-7 Sports, is with us. Uh, I'm looking at the last four games of the regular season, all of them big. This week is Colorado, at Colorado. There's no way Colorado's beating Oregon. I'm going to say it. Dan Lanning won't. You'll say it as well. But yeah. let's, look at, let's look at the last three. It's Washington at home. It's Utah at home. It's at Oregon State. Of those three, which one is the biggest worry for Oregon to possibly drop?
10: Funny, we we discussed this today on uh, our Oz and Audibles podcast, um, and my answer was all three games are basically, in my eyes, neck and neck and neck, and you're you're literally splitting hairs for all various different reasons. Um, we'll go in order. Utah is probably the most complete team. Is the complete the most complete team Morgan will face. On its schedule, there's some injury concerns there, and you know maybe how healthy will they be in a couple weeks when when they come to town. But on paper, if they're healthy, they're equal to Oregon, and that you know. And then you go look at last season and what happened, and Oregon was not competitive. So that's probably the one you would naturally gravitate towards. But then Washington has probably the best offense of the three teams that you're talking about. They've got an elite past game, and that's kind of where Oregon's struggles have been this season. Their offense is really good. Their defense is average kind of at best, maybe. uh, And their secondary has given up a lot of big plays. And that kind of feeds into the strength of Washington. Um, And then the last one for Oregon State, why I think this is all, why they're all kind of equal, is that the Beavers have played Oregon tough the last couple of years, especially. In Corvallis, I think Jonathan Smith is probably one of the better in-game coaches in the conference. And go back—I mean, you were there when when USD came to town, and you know everyone that that was at that game said, even though it was a smaller crowd—twenty-six thousand or whatever it is that Racer can hold right now—it was a weird, crazy, tough environment. And what will that be like for you if it's like that for USD? What will it be for for Oregon? It'll probably be even Tougher to play from that perspective. So my answer is, I think all three of them are equally tough for various different reasons. Oregon should be favored in all the remaining games that they play this season, but history has told us since the conference has expanded to twelve teams, no one has gone nine and zero in conference play, and you know so history says that there's going to be a loss somewhere here. Um, I, I think if. I had to absolutely pick one. I would pick Utah just because you have to give them the respect that they had last year for what they did to Oregon. I mean, Oregon wasn't even competitive. Uh, And they're the most talented team, and they're probably the most well-coached team and developed team out of the remaining programs that Oregon has to play.
0: Yeah, I think Utah, they're so banged up. And, you know, in most years I'd agree with you, but they don't have that – that Tavion is back, he's not there with them. They've had problems finding a running back. They go to the tight end. Their quarterback is a star. I mean, he's just a warrior, and he'll battle. But defensively, they're just okay. And offensively, they're good enough, but they're not great. I love Washington's offense. Penix is really good, but Washington's not going to be able to stop Oregon. Oregon's going to put 50 on them, I yeah, think. Yeah, their defense
10: is not very good. Yeah. Their, their defense isn't very good. I, I, mean, I, I guess – Yeah. Deep down, like, I'm not trying – like, I don't root for either team, what what have you. Um, but deep down, like, I would love if Oregon is 10-1 and one going into the final week of the season. And Oregon State has two losses to their name, and they're 9-2. and two. And yes. we go into that game where it's the Pac-12 championship game is on the line. We've got Oregon State trying to get to 10 wins. Maybe if they win this game, they you know propel into the top 15 or top 10 in the country. Oregon, if they win, maybe if they do enough at that point in time to, to think, hey, if they can win the pac championship, they're back into the playoffs. They're, yeah. they're the four seed. All those storylines would be absolutely fantastic. And we had that in, what, 2009, a late December yeah. game at Austin. It's one yeah. of the greatest games played between these two teams, one of the greatest games played at Austin uh i I think that would be fantastic storylines right to end the season and kind of give a big shining star to the conference as two of its perennial schools UCLA and usd are leaving that hey there's still really good football being played and it's you know teams that are in the conference in the for the long-term future
0: yeah matt preem i love it man because i the more i look at that like i'm i think oregon state could lose to washington on friday very easily it's you could see that happening on the road but um i think oregon state presents a a problem potentially for oregon i think oregon's a little more talented but oregon state at home is they're different at home they're nine and one that only lost to usc and it was very close and they're just a different team at, at research stadium than they are anywhere else and they will certainly compete in that last game of the season. Uh, Matt, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, have a happy Halloween with the kids and the family, and and uh, we'll read your stuff at 24-7 Sports. And Tell us about the podcast. How do people find that podcast?
10: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just uh, search Austin Audibles, and that pulls it up on iTunes or Google Podcasts. Um, you could also go to our website, which is the uh, Duck Territory site, and you can just find it there as well. But uh, during football season, we, we drop them Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then post-game edition, and they're all anywhere from 20 to an hour long. So nice. So we, we pump them out pretty quickly.
0: All right. Preem, thanks for coming on with us. I'll see you at the stadium.
10: Absolutely. Thanks, John.
0: All right. There's Matt Prem with Duck Territory 24-7 Sports. I want more of your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Also, I have told you you need to be – here tomorrow at three o'clock why because if you're not here it would be horrible we'll be back with more coming up
2: you've got the home of the truth back to the bald face truth with john canzano on seven fifty the game
0: You know what the schools have done now with Halloween? You guys, did your kids get to go to school in a costume? Uh,
3: My kid didn't have school today for some reason.
0: Okay. That's why. A lot of the schools have canceled uh, Halloween because the teachers have said, hey, we can't get anything done. These kids are wild, and they're all hopped up on candy, probably because they're sneaking the candy that's supposed to be given away later, and they're distracted by 3 o'clock. They're going to go and get their costume on, and then they're going to go trick-or-treating, and... The day the teachers will tell you that they are, there's no control over the kids. I wonder, They're wild.
3: I wonder if tomorrow's a bad day
0: too. <sighs> I bet it is. Maybe even worse. I bet it's worse.
3: Like my little preschooler, uh, he got to wear his costume, but they didn't have school. They only had school Tuesday through Thursday. So, yeah. uh, so they wore it on Thursday.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, my, uh, my oldest, uh, her school, I know they, they stopped having the kids show up for the day, the Halloween day. They just blew it off. The last few years, they're like, just everyone take the day off. We're taking it in-service day. Peter, did your kid go to school in costume today? Oh, he's on the phone. Peter's on the phone. Um, my kids did not. They were not allowed to wear their costumes, but and they were really not too happy about that. The school has said no costumes. They're a distraction. And uh, so they could not wait to get home. And they were a little, uh, how do I put this? They were a little wild after school today. I uh, I uh, saw about twenty minutes of this behavior. In fact, uh, Anna was threatening to cancel Halloween because they were not, they were not behaving. Uh, but uh, they ended up doing what they call uh, pre-trick-or-treating with their friends. So they're mm. going like to some of the businesses that are near our area that are giving out candy. I think it's a little. Uh, I think it's a little excessive.
3: Well, what's your thoughts on you know dressing up at the workplace or school?
0: Mm. It's not for me. Yeah. I don't mind when other people do. I was in the grocery store earlier today. The lady was dressed up like the uh, Wicked Witch in, in uh, Snow White, and uh, I thought that was cool. That you know, if that's what, if that's your thing, I I'm not judging you. But I'm not. I'm also not dressing up. Okay, that's just me. Yeah, I'm not a big dress up guy. And uh, I'm not all about it. Or how did Croc say it? What was his thing? What, how did oh, he? Uh, he uh,
3: thriving. He was thriving. Yeah, he he thrives.
0: Yeah, he thrives on Halloween. <laughs> Old Crockey. Um, Ida, or Gator, we call him. Uh, but, you know, kids got canceled for school. And, so I, you know, tomorrow the teachers will deal with these kids that are all sugared up. Sam's in Vancouver. Let's go to the phone line. Sam, what's up, man? I
8: wanted to We'll uh, quickly talk about um, the costumes and everything about Halloween being, uh, school being canceled on Halloween. Um, are we sure it's the teachers that are a little too, you know, frazzled by the stuff? Or is it because the day and age that we live that everything is offensive and the costumes could be found mm. offensive in some way? Could be. And another thing that I wanted to add on about the Pac-12, I think having five teams... In the top 25 right now and the way that they're playing, I think it was a mixture of Kleofkoff becoming the Pac-12 commissioner and I think the fact of USC and UCLA bolting basically in the middle of the night, you know, pulling an Indianapolis Colts to uh, Baltimore, where, wherever Baltimore to Indianapolis. But I think that they, they just kind of that lit a fire under the Pac-12 team's butt in the conference. And I think this is... This is the start of something I think really kind of cool, and I, I hope the conference sticks around.
0: Yeah, uh, conference is going to stick around. I think the Pac-12 is going to be a thing, uh, you know, and I think it will always be a thing. Uh, I just think UCLA, USC, both likely gone means that this conference has got to figure out what it wants to be. But I also, like, there's part of me that believes, and I, I don't know, Collar didn't bring this up, but I'm on the I on the subject of this. There's part of me that believes that if you look at the Pac-12 conference trajectory over time, again, this is a conference that was founded in downtown Portland uh, more than 100 years ago, okay? It got its origin in downtown Portland at a hotel that is no longer around. And, you know, not all the current members were in the conference at the time. I kind of think USC and UCLA at some point, the geography, I agree with David Shaw. He said this on media day on this show. He said that he, that he believes the Pacific 12 Conference, that geography will win. It's a force of nature, he, he pointed out. It's like a force of nature that you can't, uh, you can't overdo, that you can't outdo geography. You can't beat geography. It's undefeated. And I, I actually think there's some logic in that, that – USC, UCLA, over time, they may go, yay, this travel is not working for us. What can we do? Brian's in Portland. Go ahead, Brian.
1: Yeah, hi there. I just wanted to make a mention about, uh, you said the body of work is over a season. And I think if people were to reverse engineer and look at that Georgia game, they would see that Georgia has played their very best game of the season in that first game, and the Ducks played their worst game. We did move the ball between the 20s. We just did poorly in the red zone, and then we got too far behind at 21-0. But my point is is that as Georgia has progressed, they haven't played as they did against the Ducks. In fact, they should have lost to Missouri. It was a 26-22 game, and then Missouri outplayed them. They also let Kent State put 22 points on them. So I think people need to pump the brakes a little bit. Georgia is a phenomenal team. But they probably played their very best game that they're going to play the entire season against us when we played our worst game. And I do believe we could be terribly competitive against uh, Clemson and Michigan, uh, and uh, I wouldn't be against playing Georgia again. I think it would be completely different.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I would like to see it out of curiosity, but I don't necessarily know that it's the best thing for Oregon because my hunch is that Oregon would get beat pretty soundly. That's my hunch. All right, I've told you, you got to be here at 3 o'clock tomorrow. Uh, I have a big guest coming on right off the top of the show. And by big guest, I mean a very tall, redheaded guest. It's as much as I can tell you. Don't miss it. It would be horrible if you missed it. Okay? That's as far as I can go. I want you to leave it here. Punch and audio coming up. <laughs>
2: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: We're going to play some punch-it audio here. Just heard from a buddy who says uh, his school gave kids out today and tomorrow. No school. Teachers aren't playing, man. They're like, Nope. That's a good union. It's another thing that we didn't
3: have when we were kids, John. You know, we didn't have water bottles. We're drinking out of hoses. They're getting days off for Halloween. Come on. What are
0: we doing? They're getting full-size candy bars and and then days off around it. Man. I've done too much. Too soft. I saw this video on TikTok. It's this kid. He's in in some Asian country. He's in his full uh, outfit, you know, his gi or whatever they call it in martial arts. And he is, uh, he's doing the splits on two logs, and his parents are having him hold another log. He can't be five years old. And he's literally near tears and, like, screaming like, you know, he is uh, Rambo in first blood. And then he comes down, he drops the log, and he breaks into, like, you know, throwing punches. And I sent it to Anna, and I said, you know what? We're too soft on our kids.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she was all for it.
0: Yeah, she's now instructing me via text message to put the ball out right now. Mm because nobody's home to answer the door I'm in the studio doing the show and put a sign that says take one this could be a great experiment like you know how long does the bowl last on the porch in 2022
3: take one but be quiet because I'm on the radio
0: yeah <laughs> take one and let it rip all right we're gonna play some punch it audio we have the group breast sound from all around five at five coming up top of the hour on this great Halloween let's do it. <laughs> We interrupt this
8: broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth
9: Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day.
8: <laughs> You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey,
9: it's time for
2: Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling.
0: Well, let's start with the Trailblazers. Anthony Simons talking about Shaden Sharp's dunks. He says. They are spectacular. Never seen anything like it. Here's Anthony Simons on sharp punch it.
4: Oh man! I ain't ever seen a bounce like that in my life. I told him that, but um, yeah, I was. I mean, I saw from the first credit his bounce, and I was like, I ain't got the most bounce on the team no more. It's over with. After <laughs> yeah, he's he's just talented, bro. Just beyond his world talent. So,
0: Blazers have been a nice surprise. They're sitting at five and one. Peter, Steven, are you buying the Blazers at five and one, or just buying them for now?
9: Uh, I'm absolutely buying them. I mean, I'm not going to say that they're going to, you know, win seventy eight percent of their games or whatever the rest of the year. But the way they're playing is sustainable. And you and I, John, we both helped. What do we want from this year? We want it to be we just fun. Want it to be fun, yeah. Man, they could play five hundred the rest of the way, but the way they're doing it is fun, and we have some hope.
3: Yeah, it's a total surprise for me. Um, you know, I still think they're a playing team. I haven't fully bought in quite yet, but like you guys said, they're a lot of fun this year. Um, and that is exciting. The thing I'm most excited about is Shaden Sharp. You know, there's so many good young talented players in the NBA. It's cool that Portland has one of them, right? Like they have something to build around, you know, once everything, you know, once Dame, you know, goes to the end of his career or he stays here, then the teams build around Shaden Sharp. They got their guy that they're gonna build around. I think that's cool to have.
0: All right. Let me ask you guys this: They're home against Memphis. Uh, that game will take place on Wednesday. Then at Phoenix, at Phoenix. Do I have that right? Back yeah. to back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then at Miami, at Charlotte, at New Orleans, at Dallas. That's seven games. One of them at home. What's their record uh, in that seven-game stretch?
9: I think that they, uh, I think they'll go four and three in that, maybe five and two. Now, there's an advantage. DeAndre Ayton most certainly is going to miss at least the first of those Phoenix games. He might miss the second. He rolled his ankle. But I think uh, Gary Payton, the second, is expected to come back soon. And, uh, you know, the Blazers, the one area they're still lacking is that maybe perimeter defense. And if you can get him in just for 15, 18 minutes to just lock up, you know, someone on the ball for key stretches, I, I don't see it necessarily slowing down big time yet. Again, I don't think they're going to go six and one, but I'm going to say four and three. Yeah, I
3: think it's uh, I think it's three and four probably, maybe even two and five. I just I'm still not fully buying yet, John, and maybe that's just me, you know, clinging to this. But uh, I think they've overplayed the way they have so far, uh, and they're going to come back down to earth a little bit. But they are a lot better than
0: I thought they'd be. Yeah, I, I can't see how they don't come back to earth somehow. Uh, Seahawks, Giants. Geno Smith getting it done. Seahawks are a nice surprise in the NFL.
9: Punch it. They're throwing it around the yard when you thought they'd be running. Double move. Lockett on the sideline. In for the touchdown. Redemption for Tyler Lockett as Seattle takes the lead. He's going to show like he's going to turn it just for a second, and then he hits the gas again. And gets thin at the top of that double move. See that how he kind of turned his shoulders a little bit? So Dory Jackson didn't have
0: anything to contact. I got to give the Seahawks some credit. They've been better offensively without Russell Wilson than they were all of last year. Like they are I believe they're leading the NFC in points scored. They are. I'm looking at it right now. They're 5 and 3. They're a nice surprise. They're fun. Will it Will it hold up? I doubt it. I think the Niners are coming for him. I think the Niners have figured something out with Christian McCaffrey. But this is fun. It's relevant. This is what it's supposed to be. Just like the Blazer fans, the Seahawks enjoying a little bit of a resurgence when everybody thought they were dead. Meanwhile, in the Pac-12 Conference, USC and Arizona had an officiating issue at the end of the first half on Saturday. USC had the ball through a 34-yard pass. Appeared to, uh, the clock stopped, appeared to have time with six seconds on the clock to run another play. Didn't happen. The officials screwed it up. Here's how the end of that sounded. Lincoln Riley not happy.
6: Clearly Lincoln Riley does as well. Yeah. Well, thankfully
9: we have Michael Mothershit here, and he'll be able to untangle all of this. The biggest thing right now for SC, Arizona is Arizona's heading to the locker room, well, Ted. Of course they are. Which is going to make it even worse if they get called back.
7: That's the end of the half.
0: Unbelievable end to the first half in Arizona. The officials blew it. They later told Lincoln Riley they screwed up. The clock operator started the clock. The officials lost control. This is bothering me because it's the Pac-12 involved in another officiating embarrassment. And the conference doesn't want to do anything about it. They don't even want to acknowledge it publicly as a mistake. On Sunday, I reached out to the Pac-12. I said, are you guys going to issue a statement? They said, no, it didn't meet the criteria. Well, it's still embarrassing. Pac-12 has got to fix that. Jim Harbaugh. Speaking out, Michigan and Michigan State, there was a scuffle in the tunnel. Michigan State beat up on a couple of Michigan players in the tunnel after the game. Jim Harbaugh wants them to pay for it. Punch it. Uh,
1: There needs to be accountability. There needs to be a full, thorough, timely investigation. I can't imagine that these uh, will not, um, uh, that they won't. I can't imagine that this will not result in criminal charges
0: four michigan state players have been suspended the police investigating a scuffle in the stadium tunnel is michigan beat michigan state 29-7 on sunday mel tucker the coach of michigan state said that he reviewed the disturbing electronic evidence meaning the phone videotape and uh, they are doing an investigation several spartan players in an altercation with a Wolverine player in the tunnel, Jim Harbaugh said uh, he saw the video. It's ten on one. It's bad and it's unacceptable. You heard him there. It's uh, it's bad. I, I don't know how this happens. It's a safety issue. This is not how players should be interacting after a game. This is not what a rivalry is about. I, I saw it. I just shook my head. I said, "This is not. This isn't it. This isn't it." Here's the audio of that interaction. <laughs> There it is. That's more or less what it sounded like. It's just chaos. That's Punch It Audio. It's a trip around the world of sports. You'll hear more from Jonathan Smith and Dan Lanning coming up. Uh, you got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network.
2: Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: I'm digging the new music. Thank you, Judah Newby. Digging the new music. It's getting us out of our rut here on this show. Guys, can we talk for a second about the NFL? What is going on in the NFL? Peter Sampson, your, Ray, your Rams and my Niners mixed it up yesterday. And for a while, I thought, gosh, neither of these teams looks very good. And then all of a sudden, Christian McCaffrey showed up, threw for a touchdown, ran for a touchdown. Caught a touchdown pass, and I went, well, maybe they figured something out. What do you guys see happening in the NFL where everybody kind of
9: just looks okay? I mean, that's the name of the game, parody of the NFL. But it feels really like it has taken another step, not just this year, but this week specifically. It, we had so many bad or mediocre teams playing each other. And, yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, the Rams and the uh, the Niners both expected to be pretty good this year, both kind of eh. Uh, the Rams were really after Christian McCaffrey, 49ers, stepped in. And, uh, I mean, he looked great, a passing, a rushing, a throwing touchdown. He did everything for them. And the Rams, they need help, and part of the issue is, you know, when your GM and your owners say, "quote F them picks," eventually you run out of picks, and there's <laughs> there's no guy that you could get to help. And you know, Matthew Stafford, he's dealing with the injury, he's taking a step back, and in the NFL, it, it's a, all it takes is stepping back an inch, and everyone is is right there with you.
3: Yeah, it really seems like uh, there's some teams that have come out of nowhere, and I know that is the NFL, like you said, Peter, but. Like Seattle, Atlanta—they're both leading their divisions. They were supposed to be two of the worst teams in the NFL. It's, I think yeah. it's—I don't know why it is, but it is to the extreme. I think this year, where you know, even some of the favorites—you know, you look at the Buccaneers—they're really bad this season, and they're one of the favorites all year. You know, it maybe it is just parody, and that's what the NFL does. But you know, I—I I, I really have no idea, John. Like it's—it's it's really confusing to me.
0: Yeah, and we celebrated that parody a few years ago. I can remember when Roger Goodell kind of said, "Look." Like, the beauty of the NFL is the NFL gives everybody a chance to win. Somebody asked me, uh, I post a weekly mailbag every week at johnconzano.com, and one of the questions I got last week from a reader was, would the NFL work in Portland? Now, that's a different question than, is the NFL coming to Portland? NFL's not coming to Portland. NFL in Portland would have been a thing if the Delta Dome had passed, if taxpayers in Oregon had voted to fund the Delta Dome. Harry Glickman's project, uh, it would have happened. The Seahawks were going to come to Portland, not Seattle. So Portland would have had an NFL team at, at Delta Park, uh, at the Delta Dome, but that never got built. No Olympic games were held. No NFL team came. Didn't happen. But the beauty of the NFL is it works in Nashville, just the same as it works in you know New Jersey or, or Santa Clara or Seattle. It works in Kansas City, and it works in Green Bay, the same as it works in Dallas, the same as it works in Vegas. It works. Like, it would work in Portland. It works anywhere. And that is celebrated as a victory. Like, you know, the NFL shares revenue. The teams all have a hard salary cap. They all have to spend the same amount of money. The worst team in the league gets the benefit of the best pick next season. Plus, they have the easiest schedule next season. It's all about fostering parity. But I think they've gone to a point where maybe it's gone too far. Like, I I think parody to a certain degree is fine, but like I don't want parody fostered so much that the best minds and the best players can't overcome it. Like I, I, I think the league is better when you have dynasties that a little mini dynasty at least, where you have a combination of a great coach and a great player, and you don't have them inhibited so much by the salary cap that they can't win in a two or three year window, and that's what the league has done. Like, I can remember when the Seahawks and the Niners played in the NFC Championship game not that long ago, and Russell Wilson was on a rookie contract and Colin Kaepernick was on a rookie contract, and you had great defense in Seattle and run game, and you had great defense in San Francisco and some run game, and but you know the two quarterbacks were making like six hundred thousand dollars each, and everybody knew it was a matter of a season or two before Russell Wilson was going to be the highest paid player in the NFC or certainly in his own locker room, and he was going to get a 12 or 15 or $20 million contract and the Niners were in the same position. It was like, you have to win now and you have to win with this quarterback on a young contract. And, you know, it allows you to be better at so many other positions. But now I look at the league and, um, you know, the teams that have established quarterbacks have problems because they can't pay, uh, you know, at other positions. And then, the teams that have like maybe uh, a good team, but they don't have a quarterback, are really hamstrung. and And I think the net result right now is you're looking at a bunch of teams that are sitting, you know, near or at 500. And I don't, I don't think the NBA system works better because it puts the small markets markets at such a disadvantage. But I'm kind of wondering, like, have they gone too far with the parity? Because I think the league really, really thrived at a time in which. The Packers had a run, or the Cowboys had a run, or the Niners had a run, or the Pittsburgh Steelers of the 1970s and 80s had a run. Uh, And now I don't know what is a run anymore. Like, look at the Rams. Like, guys, is it possible that that a dynasty is like two years now?
3: It very well could be. I mean, that's a great point. Like, you know, you look, at the, you look at the teams that really have had the dynasties. You know, the Steelers haven't won a Super Bowl in so long, but Mike Tomlin hasn't had a losing season. So, like, does that count as a dynasty? Or does it have to be, you know, conference championship success or Super Bowl success? Yeah. I, it's kind of the definition. But, yeah, I think it's getting shorter and shorter. I think even in the NBA, it's getting shorter and shorter as well. I mean, the Warriors are an outlier, but – we all expect Boston to be really good for years. That thing could blow up at any time and someone could want out and request a, request a, request a trade. You know, the coach goes away, obviously. I mean, you like So many things happened so quickly now, I think, in sports that I think you're right. Dynasties, they shrink, and it has to be a shorter distance now.
0: It's interesting. I'm watching the Rams. Peter, I thought your Rams would have a little mini two, three years like Aaron Donald coming back. I remember all that conversation. Is he coming back? Yeah, he's coming back. And, and you know, he was retiring. No, he's not. And I thought, okay, the Rams are going to be good again. They're not good. And part of the problem is you got to pay some guys after the Super Bowl. And part of the problem is, guys, maybe they get soft after a Super Bowl.
9: Yeah, and a big part of it is, I mean, Matthew Stafford. He he answered the questions. Look, is he an empty stats on a bad team guy? Well, no, he can win. But as soon as I started hearing about elbow pain, even if it's minor, look, Matthew Stafford was the guy for the job, but, I mean, that's not Tom Brady. That's not Aaron Rodgers. You know what I mean? So Odell Beckham is out. I mean, they still don't have an elite running back. Again, it just takes a little bit of slippage. I was concerned. I, I would say in the summer, I think they're going to take a step back this year. Maybe not to. This this degree but i'm not surprised that they're not in contention
0: i think uh it's interesting i don't think anybody's out either that's the you know the other thing as i look around the league i mean maybe maybe uh the buccaneers are out but uh i'm looking at the standings right now and let's just look at the nfc west okay uh you know the cardinals rams niners seahawks i don't think anybody's out in the well, nfc west well you talked about this like Usually
3: the formula was get a good quarterback, get a stable quarterback and you're good. Like you're going to win 8, 9, 10 games. But teams like Seattle and teams like Atlanta are proving that wrong. Like they're winning in different ways without that star quarterback. So how does the NFL react to that next season and is it going to be even more parity?
0: I think that part of the reason part of the reason why the Seahawks are winning I think is because they're not paying a quarterback twenty five million dollars. Like I think they are deeper and better at a lot of different positions. It's kind of how they got their genesis. If you go back to their Super Bowl winning team and you go back and go, okay, they had a linebacker who was a fifth round draft pick, and they had a quarterback who was still on a uh, you know rookie deal, and you had uh, you know the ability to pay some big time defenders. Um, It you know they're still spent Seahawks and Niners and everybody else are spending the money. But the difference is that you know Matthew Stafford with the Rams is eating up a whole bunch of the Rams salary cap, and and uh, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay is eating up a whole bunch of Green Bay salary cap, and so it's really interesting to see what's happening right now across football because everybody is four and four, three and five, five and three. Like it's really interesting. Leave it here.
2: B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: I'll tell you what I'm loving uh, at JohnCanzano.com. I'm loving the comment section. I've never said that before. On the old school newspaper comment section, I never had that positive sort of association. But there's great debate and discourse going on in there you uh, disagree with me, jump in there on any of the pieces and look at the comments. I think part of it is that a lot of the commenters are using their real names because they are subscribing, whether it's a free subscription or a paid subscription, and they're using their real name. And so I'm using my real name, and they're using their real name, and so there's a level of civility. Like, people are still disagreeing, but there's a level of civility there that is not evident in some of the other forums that I've seen. But one of the big questions that came up, and you guys, without looking this up, you did you guys both see the video of the end of the Arizona-USC first half on Saturday? Yes. Yes. Okay, so the official, you know, probably should have blown the ball dead, reset the clock, and allowed USC to snap the ball. But I just looked at the official – scorebook because somebody asked the question in the comment section. Do you remember USC snapped the ball and then the you know the Caleb Williams throws a pass ends up at like the 2-yard line but then the official is blowing the whistle and waving his arms and only like about four people are actually playing on the play, everybody else is standing around confused. Do you guys remember the play like that, that last sort of half play that happened?
3: Yeah, yeah, I was just standing around and then uh, yeah. Scrambles around to the right and throws it basically into the ground.
0: Is that a play that you guys think registered in the official playbook of the game? Because uh, I'm looking at the play, like the official game log. Or do you think that the clock ran out and they did not get the playoff? Was there a play there or not? It,
9: I'm. It shouldn't be. Therefore, I'm going to say that it did register. Yeah, I
0: think, I think it is. I think it is. <laughs> so I looked, because I, there's confusion about it. Because some people are going, well, wait a minute. They did snap the ball, but they threw an incomplete pass or they threw the ball to the two-yard line and then the half ended. And then the other people are saying, no, 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 there was no play. The clock blew dead. Like, it went to zero. So I went to the official box score that is Stat Broadcast that puts out the official book for the game, and there is no play there. The last play of the half was the 34-yard Completion. So Caleb Williams did not. They did not snap the ball to the Caleb Williams on that play. So it is a no play. Peter, you're right. Your instinct was right initially. No play. They didn't get a playoff.
3: Well, you know they shouldn't have. If they're not going to count it. they shouldn't count as a play. So yeah, <laughs>
0: there it is. So there was no play, no action. Uh, we do have a whole bunch of plays in action coming up right here in 7:50. The game in a few minutes. Uh, we've got Monday Night Football. The live broadcast of Monday Night Football will be right here on 750 The Game, so uh, you can stay tuned for that. But while we wait for Monday Night Football, Bengals-Browns coming up uh, at 515. Uh, we are going to play uh, the 5 at 5. It's the five biggest stories going on. Let's do it.
2: The 5 at 5.
0: Well, the Astros and Phillies are split. One game apiece in the World Series. Game 3 of the World Series was supposed to be... Uh, played today it has been postponed due to rain it'll now be played tomorrow game four will be wednesday game five thursday by the way game six and seven if necessary will be saturday and sunday in houston friday's the only off day originally thursday was going to be a travel day but then they pushed the games back you know how it goes i just like that baseball is kind of moving the series along it's like hey we got some uh, other things to broadcast we need to get this in If you've been watching this series, Philadelphia took Game 1 in dramatic fashion, falling behind 5-zip to the Astros before roaring back. They would not be denied. They won the game an extra inning, 6-5. Game 2 went to the Astros over the weekend. Game 3 of the series, scheduled for today, has been postponed. It'll be played tomorrow due to weather. World Series Game 3 tomorrow. That's number one. Number two in our five at five. Auburn has fired Bryson, Brian Harson after less than two seasons. Harson went nine and 12 in 21 games. Auburn made the change. They also have changed athletic directors. They have hired uh, Mississippi State's athletic director. John Cohen. Keep an eye on Mike Leach at Mississippi State. Is he going to be a candidate at Auburn? It's an interesting conclusion. Would he have better players? Would he have more access to NIL money? Well, those are some of the reasons why I think John Cohen made the move. Number three in our 5 at 5, let's talk about Christian McCaffrey. He made history yesterday for the 49ers.
6: McCaffrey behind the line, looking to throw it.
9: here's it out, has Ayuk wide open. He's got it for the touchdown. McCaffrey
6: the touchdown pass to Ayuk from 34. What a dandy.
2: Rappa pressure sees it.
9: Throws it McCaffrey. He's got it for the touchdown. Wow.
2: To complete the old triple crown.
6: <laughs> they do. And he is in for the touchdown. A passing touchdown, a receiving touchdown, a rushing touchdown. LaDainian Tomlinson, last one to do that
0: in 05. There it is, history for Christian McCaffrey. He did it, rushing, passing, receiving. 49ers go on, beat the Rams. Big day for McCaffrey. Looks like the 49ers have figured out, hey, uh, we might as well use him. We traded for him. Uh, That is number three. Number four in our 5 at 5, Jim Harbaugh expects Michigan State players will be criminally charged for the altercation after Michigan's win over Michigan State on Saturday. Defensive back Jamon Green was punched in the Michigan State tunnel after the number four Wolverines beat their rivals. Another teammate, Jaden McBurrows, was attacked when he tried to help. McBurrows is seen on a video being pushed and punched and kicked by multiple Michigan State players. This should never have happened, should not happen. I agree with Harbaugh. He says there should be a full investigation. Uh, by the way, uh, Green has hired an attorney to represent him in the assault case. Tucker working. Mel Tucker, the coach at Michigan State, is working with law enforcement. This one's ugly. Keep an eye on it. Finally, fifth thing in our five at five, kind of a wild story. 76ers have lost two second-round picks, not between the uh, sofa cushions. They have had them taken away as a result of violating free agency rules. Apparently, they had some early discussions with P.J. Tucker and Daniel House Jr. Uh, The uh, league announced this, said the picks were taken away because the 76ers engaged in discussions with both players, prior to the date when discussions were permitted. They'll lose a second-round pick in the 2023 draft. 76ers, uh, by the way, are getting a uh, pick in that draft from Atlanta, Brooklyn, or Charlotte, uh, depending on who has the most favorable pick. League has been investigating the 76ers since summer when uh, they signed Tucker with the mid-level exception and they signed House with the biannual exception. Oh, these moves were made possible after James Harden took a pay cut. So uh, they're also the league is also looking into the New York Knicks. I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often. That's our five at five, five biggest things going on. All right, tomorrow I want you here. I want you here at 3 o'clock. If you are here at 3 o'clock on this radio show tomorrow, you will get a wonderful surprise, a big-time guest coming on tomorrow's show right at 3 I can't say more about it. Um, he has vowed me to secrecy. But uh, I will just say this. He'll be coming out of the teepee to do an interview on this show tomorrow at 3. He's going to break his silence, and he's not a guy that likes to be silent. It's horrible. You know what I'm talking about? To keep this guy silent. So you know who's coming on. 3 o'clock tomorrow. Be here for it. The Bald faced Truth, not here for a long time. Just a good time. Have a great Halloween, everybody.